Please pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, for you are our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Pastors are often asked to do many things in the course of our service. Some of them are expected, and some of them are a bit of a surprise. Most of the unusual things I've been asked to do through the years have been related to weddings and funerals. There's something about those transitions in life that lead to unique rituals and traditions. I hadn't been out of seminary very long when I received a call from a local funeral director who asked me if I'd be willing to officiate at the funeral for an individual who had no faith community of her own. Though she had no religious connection of which anyone was aware, her children requested the services of a pastor to lead a Christian burial for her. Already busy with many other commitments, I hesitated to say yes at first, but the funeral director pressed me. Please, I've called six other pastors and they've all turned me down. I don't know who else to call. Of course I said yes. What else could I do? The family didn't want to meet with me before the service, but only asked that I lead a traditional Christian funeral for their mother. I agreed, making clear, as I always do, that I don't eulogize people I don't know. Instead, I invited the family members to share their own remembrances of their dearly departed, and they agreed. When I arrived at the funeral home on the day of the service, I was met by the funeral director, who led me around the building and showed me the chapel. I set up my tools on the pulpit and looked around for the casket or the urn, but neither was visible. Where are the remains, if I may ask, I inquired of the funeral director. Well, that's the interesting thing, he said, taking a deep breath. They have an unusual request. Oh, I asked. They've asked us to divide the cremains up into small containers so that each family member can take one with them, he said. Hmm. Okay, I replied, that's a bit unusual. They would like for you to bless them in the service and then present one to each of the family members as they leave. Okay, I said, I've never done that, but I suppose we can make it happen. In every respect, that service was a typical funeral. But after the commendation, I invited the family members to come forward and handed each of them a small wooden box which contained a portion of their deceased family member's ashes. What seemed strange at first seemed completely natural and deeply meaningful in that moment. This woman, who had meant so much to them, who had such a profound impact on their lives, would now go with them as they left. The act symbolized the ways in which she would continue to be with each and every one of them as they lived their lives. She wasn't gone, but was simply present in a new and different way. 
As I was reading the passages from Luke and Acts for this Sunday, I remembered that unique funeral and realized there's a connection with the stories of the Ascension. For many, this feast of the church's year is one of the strangest in our calendar. It, the depictions of it in art range from images of Jesus levitating over the disciples on that mountaintop to my favorite, a rocket like Jesus taking off from earth and rising into the sky. Now, neither of those images are particularly helpful in understanding what all of this means in terms of real life and the faith needed to live it. We've spent these last seven weeks of Easter hearing stories about the risen Christ appearing to those first disciples. They've encountered Jesus in dens of death, on roads as they have fled in terror, and behind closed doors as they have cowered in fear. No matter where they have gone, Jesus has been with them. Jesus has shown up among them. Those experiences have been real and tangible and awe-inspiring. But none of them seems to have actually moved the disciples out of their posture of anxiety and into a confident engagement with the world. There is some sense that if Jesus is still with them, then there's no need to change or do anything differently. Jesus seems to sense this complacency and confronts it in these last words to the disciples in both Luke and Acts, which tell the same story, but in slightly different ways. Jesus reminds them of the truth that they have seen in his life and ministry, the truth that God is at work reconciling and renewing all of creation, and that they are to carry this message far and wide to the very ends of the earth in the strength of the coming Holy Spirit. And then the risen one leads them up a mountain outside of Jerusalem, a place that has always been a space for revelation and transformation. And there reminds them that they have been blessed with the strength that overcomes even the powers of death itself. And from there, the risen Christ disappears from their midst. But this isn't an abandoning of the disciples or even the ascent of a monarch to a throne of power and glory. No, this is the dispersion of the presence of Christ into every atom and molecule of creation. Jesus has promised that his departure will make way for the Holy Spirit to come over the disciples and bathe them in the strength that they need to be witnesses and bind them together as the risen body of Christ in this world. As the risen Christ disappears from their sight, the Savior becomes one with them in a new and enduring way. Martin Luther writes, And Jesus remained upon earth in visible form before the people he could not have wrought so effectively. For all the people could not have been with him and heard him. Therefore, he inaugurated an expedient which made it possible for him to be in touch with all and reign in all, to preach to all and be heard by all and to be with all. Therefore, beware lest you imagine within yourself that he has gone. 
and is now far away from us. The very opposite is true. While he was here on earth, he was far away from us. Now he is very near. The writer of Ephesians will refer to this presence as a redefining of power and authority. Jesus will not reign over creation as an earthly ruler, lords over subjects, but rather the risen Christ will reign in, through, and among the community that continues his ministry. The physical body of Jesus isn't gone, but rather has been reborn in the church itself, which is now the body of Christ in this world. Most of us can probably relate to the confusion and fears of those first disciples. With Jesus' arrest and execution, their world had collapsed. Everything they knew and on which they had depended had changed in an instant. They were terrified. Even the stories of Jesus' resurrection left them struggling to get their feet back on solid ground. None of it made any sense. We've felt that same sense of dislocation over the last 15 months as our own world has been rocked to its core by the worst global pandemic in more than a century. Our entire way of life has changed and we've had to figure out how to adjust to it all. It's been a tremendous amount of grief and fear and uncertainty. But the thing that has held us together and given us the strength to go on has been our connection to each other and through each other to God. Even in the midst of this pandemic, we have deepened our relationships with each other, sharing our hurts and our hopes, our joys and our sorrows. We have ached to be together. We have shared our yearnings with one another. And in that sharing, the cords that bind us to each other as the body of Christ in this world have been strengthened. This has been a hard time for us here at St. John's too. As most of you know, we faced significant challenges and struggles. Those have left us wounded and wondering, but they have not overcome us. We have weathered them with the strength and the grace of God, and we are a stronger community because of them. We are more fully the wounded, risen body of Christ in this time and place. As we look toward the end of this pandemic and the resumption of th something that looks and feels more like normal, there will be a lot of anxiety and trepidation. The updated guidelines from the CDC this week left many of us reeling and wondering how we'll adjust. The answer is that we'll deal with it in the same way we've dealt with every challenge we faced together. The days, weeks, and months ahead of us offer an incredible opportunity for the church, especially progressive and inclusive congregations like St. John's, to step forward and lead. We have endured much. We know what's really important. The cords that bind us to each other as the living, risen body of Jesus Christ in this world. We know that together we have the courage to face the future and the strength to make the changes necessary to bring healing and wholeness to this world. Journalist A.J. Willingham wrote this week, 
in the song When You Believe from the tangible, the intimidable 1998 DreamWorks hit The Prince of Egypt. The characters Zephora and Miriam sing, Though hope is frail, it's hard to kill. It's a fascinating paradox if you think about it, she writes. How can something be delicate yet sturdy at the same time? As we work toward the end of this pandemic, the strength and frailty of hope makes more sense. There are better days ahead. We have to believe that. Heck, we can almost see them, she writes. But in the here and now, that hope has to be handled carefully. It has to be nourished by the way we treat each other and the decisions we make so that we can stay true on our path to a better future. Amen.